I'm the underdog with the heroic card. I'm Eric Jones Jr. I have to keep pushing for my kids. If I give up, what's that leave them with? Nothing. I have to understand that it's bigger than me. That it's not about me when I wake up and go to work. It's not about me when I'm reading and educate myself. It's not about me when I'm practicing my speeches. It's not about me. It's about my family. Hey, 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 you're now tuned in to Underdog Talk Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Jones Jr., the underdog with the heroic heart, and I have conversations with successful underdogs. And today we have Kellen F. I'm going to let him say his last name because I don't want to jack it up. Um, But we have Mr. Kellen. How are you doing today, sir? I am fantastic, Eric, and the last name is Flukiger, and it's always complicated, so no problem at all. Uh, thank you for having me on your show. Oh, no problem, and thank you for uh, being on. Thank you for uh, just going to add value. I could tell by the conversation we had, you're, you're funny, and you definitely are going to add some value. So before we get into our conversation, if you, this is your first time listening, thank you for listening. If you've listened before, make sure you share, like, comment, review on all of your favorite podcast platforms. And let's get into today's conversation. So you you say you're a child abuse survivor. So what did that look like for you? Well, I'd be just thrilled to tell you. But before we do, I want to agree with what you said to people that are listening. Please subscribe to Eric, share it. I want to honor Eric because doing a podcast is a labor of love. It is a choice that you're making, Eric, to add good to the world, to lift and bless people's hearts. And I want to honor you for that and thank you for the work that you're doing to to bring value and good conversation to folks. So thank you. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. So I'll tell you the story. I was raised in a, I was born in San Francisco in, in 1955. So I'm 66. Uh, and I, I was born into two parent home, looked sort of middle class ish from the outside uh, it, and looked kind of normal, except it wasn't. My, um, my mom was got married pretty young and she had a very particular idea about behavior and religion and what was good and bad. And the discipline that I had growing up was today in 2022 would be felony child abuse. A lot of beatings, a lot of physical, uh, emotional and other kinds of abuse. Uh, For example, I remember hiding in my room wondering why I was so awful that I had to get beat every day. And I remember getting dressed even in high school when I was old enough to defend myself. I was so frightened I didn't. I remember getting dressed last in the locker room in high school because I didn't want anybody to see I was black and blue because I was so embarrassed that something's wrong with me, like nobody else is like this. So that kind of feeling, what it did, and I've long since gotten through that, and we'll talk about that because that leaves marks. What it left on me was a real knowledge that I wasn't good enough. Like I believed to the core of my soul that something was fundamentally wrong with me and that I would never be good enough. And so I spent, I left home when I was 17 and I spent the next 35 years. Now you'd think if you get away from home, you get away from that, but you don't. You don't get away from it unless you do something. And so I spent the next 35 years until I was 52 
living a roller coaster of depression, of creating success career-wise, and then sabotaging it, trashing it, creating it again, trashing it. Um, relationships, the same thing. Get married, have some kids, trash the relationship, do it again and again. So I was married and divorced three times. I created some really significant financial and business success only to believe I didn't realize it what I was doing at the time, but believe oh, I don't deserve this. So I would trash it and rode that roller coaster for 35 years. And part of it was when the self-loathing got bad. Then I turned, of course, to alcohol and drugs. And so that included, you know, stints in rehab and the whole nine yards. And so that um, huge roller coaster and it was high meaning the roller coaster up and down were high. Like I made a lot of money and then I would trash it and do it over and over and over again because I kept living that song in my heart of, I'm not good enough. I don't deserve this. I have to prove that I'm okay. And then when good things would happen, instead of being satisfied, I would believe I didn't deserve it and I would trash it. And so that went on and on for decades until August of 2007 when I had a dramatic intervention and things changed. So that's the story of the abuse. I was physical, emotional, mental, mostly physical. Uh, and it left me depressed, convinced I was not good enough, desperate to get outside approval. And all my you know good vibes had to come from somebody telling me I was okay and convinced that I didn't deserve it even when I created it. So I ended up trashing it as, as, as crazy as that sounds. That's kind of the gist of the journey. And I'm happy to talk about any details, but that's the gist of the, the journey there up until the dramatic change in 2007. Mm, that's, I'm sorry to, that you had to go through that, but you had, you know, everybody has to go through something to get to where they're supposed to, but that's crazy. Like, for so for like my culture my upbringing i got a lot of whoopings too but i didn't get like beat like sometimes you i would hear friends oh, i've been hit with extension cord i've been hit with this i've been hit with that so i haven't to that extent got beat that much the worst my i think i got was my dad uh hit me upside the head with a plate i forgot what i did and i was like so in shock that he did it but i remember getting whoopings every day and and feeling like anytime I did something, I was going to get in trouble. It's like, man, I can't even be a kid. And it just, it used to be crazy to me. So now being a parent, I don't, um, I don't whoop my son. I whoop, uh, he's about to be eight. I have, I've whooped him probably like three times besides like tapping his hand since he was a kid, because I just remember that it wasn't, I guess it was, I would say it was trauma because I didn't feel like I was always loved either. I was like, I always was getting in trouble and it was always a whooping first. It was like, never, hey, are you having a bad day? What's going on? Because for me, being born um, with the disability and going through and getting joked on at school and all that, it was like, you know, I kind of wanted to do me and no one kind of understood that. So I definitely can somewhat relate to what you said about uh, definitely about not feeling good enough um, as a kid. Um and like wondering what's next, what's going to happen. But every day you dang near, you know, you're getting a whooping um, because you've done something that wasn't necessarily even wrong. You know, being us being kids, you know, you're being a kid. And I think as a parent now, 
I understand like when my kids do something, it's like, uh, okay, you're being a kid. Now, if it's overboard, let's talk about it or whatever. But um, that's how I can kind of relate to your story. But what, what you said was like, it didn't just like mess you up a little bit in your twenties. You know, it wasn't like something that just happened and then you got over it. You said 35 years. I'm thir- I'm going to, I'm 35 years old right now. I'll be 36 in May. So like my entire, like for the whole 35, you've had to go through a roller coaster of what you said, oh, being successful, having this good, this good life, everything looking great. And then boom, you trash it. And then one thing before, uh, you were married three times. I was married before three times. I, like how, how, how did you with that? And I don't want to stick on that, but I just have a question on it. Uh, how did that go? Like, how long did, like, were they long marriages or was it, like, short? Like, how did you go about that, getting married three times? Well, so the first time I got, so the the interesting thing was I remember wishing I would die sometimes during the beatings because I figured then that my mom would get in trouble. That's the only way she was going to get in trouble because the idea you could go talk to somebody else or get some help just wasn't on the radar screen. I was too afraid to do that. But anyway, the first time I got married, I was 21, 22, I think. And my mom, you know, objected, don't, 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 don't. But I did anyway, so she didn't treat my wife well. And we got along okay for a while. But here's the thing. I, I had never experienced what being really loved was. I was only okay as long as I did what I was supposed to. So I had a warped view of what relationships were. And I didn't know how to be a partner very well. We, we, we stayed married about four years, four and a half years. And then I just trashed it. I, I just started behaving badly and I didn't hurt anyone. That wasn't part of the, I, I had the same feeling you did. I'm not doing this. And I certainly never, uh, you know, did anything physical to my spouses, but uh, I just started pulling away and eventually I cheated on her and she never kicked me out. I, she was willing to, to continue. I didn't believe I deserved this. So I had to end it and it was messy and ugly. And then my mom who didn't like her anyway, then hated me worse because there was nothing worse from her perspective than getting divorced. So I was a pig to start with. I was an idiot for getting married. And then I'm an even bigger pig for getting divorced. And then on top of that, I had two kids with that first wife. My mom didn't want to have anything to do with them. So grandma was going to be cut out of their life because I wasn't free to bring them to her house because she wanted, she didn't want anything to do with divorced kids because somehow divorce was that bad. So I was left with literally nobody in my family and, and, you know, kind of by myself trying to figure this out with this feeling that my mom must be right because she's always right. So, and, and I understand how warped that sounds, but I'm trying to prove to her that I was okay. And so that was the first marriage that lasted about four and a half years. The second time, it's about two or three years later, uh, I got married again, and that one lasted 16 years. Uh, We had eight children, so I had a total of 10. Um, I thought that was going to be it. I was going to stay married and everything else. 
uh, <clears throat> and we wanted to have kids and we did. And uh, here's another piece because I was broken. I didn't know how badly I was broken, depression and everything, because I never went and talked to anyone. I never got help. I never opened up. And the woman that I married, this my second wife, she had been raised by an alcoholic stepfather and been told when she was a child that she was unwanted. Now, I knew that because she told me those things during our relationship. But because I never had gotten any help or talked to anyone, I had no idea. And she hadn't either. I had no idea what that did to her. So we were two broken people trying to be married. Everyone, you know, me struggling with never telling the truth or talking about how I felt. And then we had kids and, you know, focused on them. And eventually, after 16 years, the, that relationship turned into pretty much consistent fighting and arguing. And, I, you know, and there was tons of money. That wasn't it. So there was no fighting about money. I was making a lot of money. But there was a, a just a constant lack of ability to get along. And so eventually uh, I left that relationship. And, you know, took off again. I didn't take off. I left the relationship. And that ended that after 16 years. Um, the third marriage happened about a year later. And that didn't last very long. That was sort of a rebound thing. And I knew, I knew from the beginning that was doomed. We probably were married about four years. But that was a disaster from the start. <clears throat> she was an attorney. She also came from very broken. She, her mom committed suicide when she was 12 and she was lied to about it until she was 21. Uh, she had terrible, you know, adaptation problems, attachment issues and everything else. But again, still then I had none, I had no help, nothing. I didn't know anything about how any of this crap worked. I was just stumbling around trying to deal with the aftermath of my second divorce and, and eight children in that one that I had custody issues with. And when that second divorce happened, that woman was so angry that she accused me of mistreating the children. And because I'm the guy, the authorities stepped in and they took children away and they believed her. And then it took two years of court hearings and everything else. And after two years, I finally got full physical and legal custody of all the children. And she lost all of it because she'd been lying her face off. So the, the whole thing was this horrendous mess. And at the center of it, I was believing that this was all my fault. And if I wasn't such an ass, bad, rotten person, everything would be fine, regardless of what anybody else did or didn't do. During all that time, I was drinking heavily and started using drugs. Again, that wasn't the first time ever. That sort of thing went up and down. And that third marriage didn't last very long, three or four years, but it was very awkward and clumsy and was really centered a lot on partying and kind of sketchy behavior to start with. So that one lasted three or four years and ended in 2005, <clears throat> two years before the dramatic change. But at the time that ended, I was heavily into drugs. It was a a point there where I was using $3,000 worth of, a week of cocaine. So I was 3000 bucks a week of blow and was making so much money that didn't matter. I mean, that was the level of the dysfunction. Yeah. Wow. 
Um, I got a lot from that, and I, I'm sure listeners will. Um, what I got was it, it starts when it starts at home. It starts when you're young. It starts as a kid. Um, our trauma that we don't handle, like you, you said, uh, this whole time you haven't got any help. You haven't talked to anyone, and we don't talk to people. We don't get that help, and we don't understand that the trauma from our childhood or early life or whatever trauma, you know, you had early, it, it messes up relationships. It messes up life. It messes up things because we don't understand. We just thought, you know, you thought that was normal. Oh, my mom, you know, she, she beat me or whatever the case, whatever anybody that's listening, their life is like, they're like, Oh, I thought it was normal. But then you get around someone else and they're like, no, that wasn't normal. That's why you act like a, B and C because of, you know, this and that. And all your relationships had to do with your mom. And your mom was the person that was putting the abuse on you. Your mom was, you know, when as a kid, your mom's the person you love. You love her, like, no matter what, because she gave birth to you. Like, you always going to ride with your mom. And it's like your mom was steering you the wrong way. Um, you You ended up with, Let's see, about over 20 years of marriage, 10 kids. Hello? I'm back. I lost you when you said 20 years of marriage, 10 kids, and then you disappeared. Okay. Um, 20, okay. And you say you never got help. And uh, what I was saying was it was two years. Everything ended two years before your dramatic change happened, all that good stuff how and what led up to you like hey i, I something has to happen so well, uh, the, the relationship ended two years but my in august of 2007 i had a, a divine intervention i can't describe it any other way i was single for the third time i was making so much money that my three thousand dollar a week coke habit didn't matter i was in a very very high functioning attic but i had big dog blah 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 who cares I had four of my 10 children living with me as a single dad. Four of them were, or um, three of them were grown up and married, and three of them were living with, it's embarrassing to say this, but three of them were living with one of my exes. Four were with me, and three were grown up and married. On August, in August of 2007, I came home on a Friday night. I was getting ready to go out and party for the weekend. And for some reason, when I got ready to go out, I felt compelled to turn on the television. Now, that doesn't sound like anything, except I didn't know how to turn on the TV. And that sounds weird, but I had the biggest, coolest stuff put in because, you know, you buy that crap when you make a lot of money. But I wasn't a TV watcher, so I picked up the remote, and I'm like, yeah, I don't know how to turn this on. So I asked one of the kids, and they, my daughter, 16-year-old daughter, turned it on, you know, laughing through the road at me like idiot and then left the room. And I, it, I sat down and it came onto a program I'd never heard of before, but I'd never heard of any of them. It titled Intervention. Now, if you know what that is, that's a reality TV show about families who stage interventions for busted loved ones. Well, I watched, started watching it, and the protagonist was a high-ranking executive with a cocaine problem. So I'm watching this and I'm thinking, okay. Like, there's my life on the screen. I watched about 10 minutes, and I said, yeah, screw that. I'm not watching this. So I turned it off, and I went and did some other stuff for, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes. 
And I got ready to go out again, and I felt just absolutely compelled to turn on the TV. So this time I knew how. I turned it on, and it landed. It's That program started over. And no, I don't have a DVR. No, I don't have a recording device. No, it wasn't on the schedule. And no, it can't do that. I get that. But it did. Scared the crap out of me. So I thought, okay, I guess I better watch this. So I watched it, and it went badly. The guy yelled at his family and denied he had a problem and stomped out and all that stuff. But it freaked me out enough that I didn't go out to party. I went to bed. And when I went to bed, I went to hell. And what I mean by that is I felt like I went somewhere out of body. I was in a theater-like setting, big, and I was alone. But on the stage, all the scenes of my life uh, were replayed, not fast, but slow focusing on suffering, all the suffering that had been inflicted on me as a kid, up through all the suffering I had inflicted on everybody else as an adult, as an addict and a liar and a, you know, crappy partner and all of it. And it was just so intense. And after a very long time of watching this whole drama unfold, a voice said to me, it is enough. And I woke up and the sun was shining in the windows, which was weird because the windows faced west. And I got up and I realized it was five o'clock Saturday afternoon. So I'd been somewhere for almost 18 hours. And I got up and threw a thousand dollars worth of stuff away that I had. I realized, okay, I've been invited to change. Uh, with very dramatic fashion. I have no idea what to do. I have no idea how to do this. I have no idea about any of it, but I know that what's been going on, I'm done. So I quit cold turkey, 3,000 bucks a week to zero in one day. That was the end. And that was the, that got me sober, but it didn't do anything about what you observed earlier, which is that I'd never talked to anybody and I didn't know anything about any of this crap. That shoe, the other half of this divine intervention happened two weeks later. So I went back to work and I used to get all kinds of free stuff because I had a very high ranking position. And so people from other companies, CEOs and stuff would give me free tickets to this and free expensive bottles of booze and all that sort of stuff because they wanted to be nice because I made important decisions. So one of the things I got was a free pair of tickets to a concert and the guy's name is Yo-Yo Ma. Now, if you know classical music, you know who that is. And if you don't, you don't. But in classical music circles, that's as good as it gets. So I thought, wow, you know, I'm single. And I'm thinking it'd be a shame to waste this other ticket. So I asked in the groups that I managed, I said, does anybody like classical music? And some lady in one of the groups said, well, I do. And I said, well, have I ever given you anything before? And she said, no. I said, okay, fine. See you there. So I gave her the ticket. And, and I always gave away extra stuff. So that wasn't weird. But so anyway, we met at the concert. It was fabulous. And halfway through, that's two weeks since that other thing. So I'm two weeks now, stone cold sober. Halfway through the concert, <clears throat> this feeling came over me that I recognized from two weeks before that was like otherworldly. And a voice said in my head, you need to marry this woman. 
And I argued. I said, yeah, that's crazy. I said, I've screwed that up three times officially with some other disasters in between. I said, it's just not happening. And later that night, we were backstage because, of course, there were, you know, backstage passes. And the feeling and the voice came back and said, <clears throat> comma, and you need to tell her tonight. So I argued, you know, she could have me arrested for harassment and stuff. She worked for me. And I mean, what? I don't even know her that well. I can't do this. But you don't win those arguments. So I did. And it went about like you would have expected. She thought I was crazy and thought, but she didn't call the cops, gratefully. <laughs> She said, well, you know, are you crazy? What are you talking about? We don't even know each other, et cetera, et cetera. Within two weeks of that, she had her own set of experiences. Uh, I walked away from millions of dollars of contracts. She quit the career that she had. And we walked off into the sunset to recreate life together. And three months ago, we celebrated our 14th wedding anniversary. Now, as, as fabulous as that story is for a love story or whatever, the real important is this. She was the angel that was sent to help me get a handle on mental illness and depression. She helped me find counselors. She helped me figure out how to be a person, how to have a friend, how to be a friend, how to tell the truth, which I'd never done in my life. All of that stuff was, was brought with that other half. So the two pieces of that incredible intervention was the invitation i mean it didn't do any of the work but it was the invitation to completely change my life and so i walked away from the entire industry millions of dollars of contracts everything i'd done before and so did she and since that day we've created a new business i've, I've coached people i've written 16 books I do my own podcast and get to the blessing of being on shows like yours to help people understand who they really are and to change their lives. So that's the incredible but true story of what happened in 2007. Man, that's dope. Like, <laughs> that's that's super dope that uh, you actually listen. Because sometimes it's our gut. You know, it could be a higher power. Whatever it is, there's a voice telling you to do something and you don't do it and you just don't know what kind of opportunities you miss out on. And uh, the first one, uh, it's funny um, that you said something about a show. So when I was married, <laughs> the day I, the first time I cheated, right? I cheated in my marriage. Uh, it was a movie or it was a show or it was something on. And it told me don't go, like it was telling me don't go. Like, but I didn't listen and I went and that kind of, you know, ended my marriage, but you listened you sat there, you didn't go out, you watched the TV, and that show helped you. And then it it just really kind of opened your eyes to like, okay, let me stop, let me stop doing these drugs. Okay, all right, you know, life's cool. Then out the blue, you go on a date with a woman you never, I mean, you know her, but you don't know her really. And it says, hey, marry her. That's that's dope that you uh, that you listen because that would have been. Who knows what would have happened if you didn't listen, if you didn't say, hey, I know this might sound crazy, but uh, yeah, you're going to be my wife. Nah, she probably was looking at you like, oh, OK, did you have something to drink? <laughs> you know, what's going well, on? Here's <laughs> the thing. This wasn't even a date. I mean, I didn't even know her. I'm just trying to get rid of this other ticket. And I wanted to find somebody that knew classical music. I mean, it could have been a guy. It wasn't like I needed a woman to say, yeah, I was just trying to let somebody enjoy this other ticket. So we didn't even, neither one of us were thinking of it as, 
a date. I didn't even know if she had a boyfriend. I, I wasn't, it wasn't like that. It was like, I got this ticket. Who wants to go see this guy play in classical music circles as best as it is? Yo-Yo Ma is like, ah, you know, and I'd, yeah. I'd be ashamed to waste his ticket. So, yeah, everything you said exactly right, except it wasn't even a date. It was just like, here's his ticket. Let, let's go. Wow. And it, that wasn't the first one. I mean, it was the only one with her, but I'd given other stuff away and gone to other concerts with other people. <laughs> you know, it wasn't like that anyway. And so, yes, you, your observation is exactly right. Every time one of those things comes to us, it is always in the form of an invitation. And it doesn't remove the difficulties or take away the work, but it requires what you said, which is that we say yes. Yes, that that that's so true. It's because it's like um, when, like, if you pray or if you you know you speak stuff to existence, you're like, oh, I need a new job or I need some more income. Then the opportunity of the income comes. It's the invitation but you don't take it. And then you're like, man, why, why am I in this situation? And then depending on how you think, you're like, man, I remember that one job. And then it's like, dang, they making this amount of money now? I could have been making that, but you didn't take that invitation. Not saying every invitation is something that you take, but when it's something that seems challenging, uncomfortable, but it sound, you know, it's, it's something good. It's like, okay, this, I've never done this before. Let me try it out. You should take that invitation. Um, that's, it's, you gotta, you gotta, yeah, crazy, like a crazy, unique story when it comes to, uh, marriage and, and ladies. Uh, I think you and one other person, um, I think, it, uh, she, she stayed, where did she stay? I think in England and she had a crazy little love story and then her last one was crazy, but then she ended up marrying them. They've been married for 10 plus years. And just like you, I, I wasn't thinking you were going to say y'all got married. I was thinking like, you know, maybe she just was your friend, helped you out or whatever. But you said y'all been married almost going on 14 years. That's awesome. 14 so, and a half. And oh, I didn't tell you the funniest part. Okay. Her name is Joy. Like oh. you can't make this stuff up. It's like God said, look, dipweed, you don't know how to do this. Let me help you. That one. Yeah. And if you if you do read the Bible, it says two is better than one. And sometimes we don't listen, especially in relationships. We we got this certain person in our head, you know, they look like this, they'll do this. And that's not the person that you need. It was the person you want. And the person you need comes out of nowhere in a form that might not even look like the type that you, you know, might've been even one to date, whatever the case may be, but it's always um, out the blue when that person that you need comes into your life. So, you know, you, you get that. You like, all right, y'all, you guys start talking. Um, what particular thing did she say or do to help you change your mind of getting some help? Well, I, I was honest. For the first time, there was something about her, because she was divinely appointed, but there was something that made me feel like it was okay and right and needed to tell her. So I told her what I'd been through and the things that had happened before, and she didn't 
freak out or give me a bunch of advice. She looked up people for me to talk to. She just like she, she taught I, she taught me how to have a friend. I had never in my life, boys or girls, had a friend. I, I was alone. I, I didn't know what that was like. So she taught me what a friend looks like, what they sound like, what they do, what they don't do, what they put up with, what they don't put up with. She found me counselors to talk to. And I was an, I was an atrocious client to start with because I didn't know how to tell the truth to them either. I thought I had to control the session and I was supposed to already know the answer. And I went through four or five of them before I even learned to tell the truth to the shrinks I was talking to. Because you got to remember, I, it's 52 years of telling nobody nothing. So I, I did this and she would find them. She'd look them up and she'd look at their credentials and say, ah, this person's not probably good. Hey, you know, I found this person like this. And she found me one guy that was my favorite. He was 10 years older than me. He had long hair, ponytail, ex-biker, ex-drug addict. And oh, by the way, he's a forensic PhD psychologist. Oh, yeah, I can talk to this guy. Well, she found him. And, you know, he was one that was very instrumental in helping me and identifying ongoing behavior that I had that was damaging. So, for example, because of the divorces and the drugs, some of the kids were estranged. They didn't want to talk to me and they would blame me for everything wrong in their lives and talk very negatively and abusively. And that would freak Joy out. She'd say, why are you putting up with that? And I thought, well, it's my fault. And and finally, I was talking to the counselor about it, and he just looked at me, and he said, you're allowing yourself to be abused. He didn't say that. He said, the abuse continues. You have to put boundaries. You have to do this and that. And he had to teach me that, that making amends or apologizing or doing the best you can is what you do. We're supposed to when we're trying to fix things, but allowing someone to continue to use you as the scapegoat, to abuse you, to refuse to forgive yourself for mistakes when you've changed and done the best you can is harmful and negative. I had to learn all of that. And she was there for all of it. She listened to all of it. She found me people to talk to. And she was literally, um, you know, I mean, the angel, like she knows that she, she knew this, she had knew this and agreed to this assignment before she came to this world. We know that. And that might sound a little weird for whoever. And I really don't care. It's true. Yeah. That, that's, that's crazy that her name is Joy. Um, yeah, he can't make yeah. this. And she's my business partner. She now is very involved in my coaching business. She runs all of our contractors. She helps does our website work. She's a degree designer. She helps with, you know, she does all kinds of stuff. She's not only a life partner. She's a business partner. She's completely involved in everything. We're partners first to last breath. And if that isn't magic, I don't know what is. Yeah. You you actually you actually get giving me hope like on the on the relationship tip, um, but what I love that you said, she taught you how to have a friend, and I think a lot of times we go through life or we go through our struggles by ourselves, and when you go through it by yourself, you're telling your, yourself, oh I'm this I'm that, and you're speaking negative to yourself, and sometimes all you need is a friend. Listen to what you say. Okay, don't judge you. I'm not about to give you a whole bunch of advice. This is how I can help you, or I know this person that can help you, or, you know, she just pointed you in the right direction. And you got to have that friend that will not always talk back, 
And when I mean talk back, they don't always say something when you're telling them something dramatic, when you're telling them how you really feel, especially for us as men. When we um, release our our emotions, our feelings, and those things, we don't want to hear what someone else has to say, especially if it's our, you know, our woman. Just let's let us talk, and then, you know, if you got some type of advice to help me in this situation, cool. But I don't want to hear a whole bunch of other stuff, or are you judging me because stuff happened in my life. So I love that. I, I love that she taught you how to have a friend. And then once you were able to understand what a friend was, you were able to open up because you knew, all right, my life ain't too fucked up. It's 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 messed up. I had a lot of, but I, I'm worth I'm worth more than this. I'm um I matter because throughout the whole thing, it sounded like at points you told yourself you didn't matter. And sometimes people go through that, and it's because of the trauma you had from when you were a kid and you're just now handling it. Well, at the time of the story at 52 years old, and some people don't even make it to 52 years old. Some people, you know, they, or they're 50 and they're stuck in their ways. Oh, well, this is just how life is. That's just how it's going to be. And when, when that change happened, when you start opening up, when you start understanding life in a different mindset, how did coaching, like, how, how did you go from dealing with your own shit and then going to coaching? How did that happen? Well, here's what happened. I looked at my, <clears throat> I knew I wasn't done doing things and I had to do something. And so I thought, what do I know how to do? Well, in my consulting, the thing that made me so much money, what I did a lot of was I was the guy that got called to do things that were really hard. So I realized I have a talent at helping people do things they don't believe they can do. Okay, cool. What is that? Well, that sounds like coaching. So I went and I looked online and looked up some coaching schools and different books and went and took some classes and got some certifications and just sort of dug into it. And then the the power of it was because it was connected to my own healing, I realized that that was the greatest joy that I'd had. When I was making all that money, I was doing a thing that I was really good at, but it was over there. This was connected at the soul level, like I'm helping people do good things. I'm adding good to the world. This is good. This feels good. And so it it was a thing that I sort of started like, well, I know how to help people do hard stuff. I've been paid a lot of money to do that. And, and then it turned into an experience where I realized that it was it was a fulfilling, it was meaningful. And so when I say, you know, I only have one goal for 2022, and that is I'm going to help 10 million people discover, develop, and serve with their divine gifts, I, that's all I do. First breath in the morning to last breath at night. So when people say, what do you do for fun? Uh, this. <laughs> this is what I do for work. It's what I do for fun. It's who I am because I love being in the people encouragement business. I I love it. I, I love it because the first thing that you said, what do I know how to do? And that's where people, that's the vehicle. That's the vehicle that we all have. What do I know how to do really good? Because everyone that's listening Everyone in the world is good at something. God didn't just put us on earth just to 
just to put us here. We're all good at something. We all have a gift. And you realize, oh, I'm a problem solver. Okay. Uh, I made a lot of money before. That was cool. But what the one thing you said, it helped your own healing. And I I feel I felt that because when I started, um, my story's a little different. I it was like when I was 30, that's when I realized my purpose. That's when, you know, things started happening for me, speaking, doing podcasts, radio show, all that good stuff. But it was like helping other people, it's like I can't go tell someone these different things and I'm not doing it in my own life or I can't post videos and I'm not doing it in my own life. So it's like when you're helping other people, you're really helping yourself because you got to be better, not necessarily better than that person, but you got to be a better version of yourself to be able to help anybody. And then you, then, then this one, this one took me to church. You said it was, you're con- it's connected at the soul. And I don't think people understand that. Like you said, what do I do for fun? This, this is fun. This is fun. This, uh, this is helpful. I'm adding value to people. Um, I'm making a lot of money and I'm doing it with my wife. So this is like that people don't get like when you have your purpose and you understand your value, fun doesn't look like fun to everybody else. Like fun is helping people or reading or making a program or whatever the case may be is to help people. And you said you wanted to add good to the world. So you've came a long way from hating yourself, thinking you weren't worth it. Now you're helping people. And then this this the kicker. You didn't say you just want to help a couple people. You said you want to help 10 million people. That's a lot of people to, to help. But your mindset changed. And that only sounds crazy to people that have a small, small mind. Like 10 million people are making $10 million dollars. That, that's not something that's hard. It's something easy when you're doing what you love to do. And that's what you're doing. You love to do it. And you're doing it with your, with your, with your wife, which is super dope. Because before I got married, one thing I noticed, a lot of successful, most successful men have a wife because you need that, that woman. And even though I got a divorce, I know at some point, that woman, I don't know if my story going to be, you know, as crazy as yours, where I, you know, hey, you, you want to go to the uh, basketball game, you know, whatever the case may be. But I know that's why I was saying there's hope. Like you've been through several marriages, you know, you weren't the person you were that you needed to be. And that's why things weren't successful. Like you were successful um, externally, but internally you weren't successful. And that's that's super dope that you were able to um, overcome that. So as a coach, what are some of the, like, what, what kind of coach are you? Cause I know there's different coaches. What, what is your thing with, with coaching? You know what? I love that question. Cause the answer is there's not an answer. I'm not a quote relationship coach or a business coach or a mindset coach or a success coach or anything else. A person that is tired of living in mediocrity. I work with people who have committed to end addiction to mediocrity and settling for half or a third or some crumbs compared to what they can have. I'm, I'm the coach for the guy or the gal who's ready to live that divine purpose, who said, you know what, I don't care how much money I have made or haven't made. There is a yearning, there is an 
empty spot and every curriculum is different. So a person comes, I listen to who they are, where they've been, what they want to do, why they haven't, why they're not there already, what they've tried, and then we figure out how to do it. And no matter why they come, a guy owned a pharmacy, he wants to double his income. Guy owned a marketing agency, he wanted to make more money. Somebody came and wanted to work on some personal issues. It doesn't matter why they come. After four or five sessions, we are always working on the same thing. And that is, you can have anything you want if you choose to be the person that creates it. Who you're being is the only thing that matters because from the place of being that person, you can have any flipping thing you want. Having is not hard choosing to be in every breath, in every thought, in every motion, in every piece of language with yourself, with your partners, with your belief, with your actions, who you are being is the foundation because from that place, you can create anything you want. Mm. Um, I'm, I was writing notes as you was talking, but uh, I love it. I love it. I, I, I really do because Sometimes uh, people put a title or I'm this, I'm that. You like, I, I'm shit, I'm just trying to help people. You know, I have a method, I have, you know, a system, I have all these things that's help people. And I just want to help people that are, are stuck, that are in mediocrity. And that's super dope that you didn't like, oh, well, I only do relationship, I only do this. No, it, it doesn't. You, if you just want to be the best version of yourself, holler at my man, Kellen because it sounds like he's got it going on and having is not hard. That is so true. Cause think about a kid, a kid gets everything they want. Having ain't hard. You just ask your parents. Sometimes you just, you know, asking a question, you could get something, but making the choice to be the best version of yourself, that's hard as hell because you gotta, you gotta, like you said earlier, boundaries, you gotta um, internally work on yourself. Cause if you don't work on the inside, that outside, uh, how everybody looks or how everything is going on, it it's not going to matter because you can have all the dollars in the world, but you go home and like you said, you had a, a $3,000 addiction. You you was making big money, but you was going home and you was depressed. You was going through stuff. It's because you you never worked on the inside of you. And I love that, you, that you've done that, that you put the boundaries, that you um, stop letting people use you and stop allowing the abuse to happen to you. Like that's super dope because I know people, I know somebody's listening. They they're going through abuse. They might've been through abuse and they haven't went to go get help for it. And they think sometimes people are in abuse and they think it's okay. And they think it's normal until they see joy that everybody needs a joy in their life. I'm not talking about the word. I'm talking about the name, but you get what I'm saying. Everybody needs a joy in their life to help them see that you're worth more than what you're going through. I think that's super dope, man. Like that's, yeah. And I love, I just love, cause for me, like they like, what kind of speaker are you? I don't know. I just, I just going to tell you my story. I'm going to tell you what I've been through, how I got through it. And I, I'm sure it's going to help. And that's sometimes that's all that it is. It's like, I don't know what you would be called a healer. You'd be a value adder. I don't know if that's a word, like if that's a setup, but something of that sort is what you are and you're on earth to help people. So just giving you your flowers, um, just from talking to you right now, like you're a dope person 
and I, I, I love everything that you you said. I, I love that you're that you didn't give up. You didn't give up and you listened when you needed to listen. Because sometimes we don't listen when we need to listen. Oh well, we mostly we mostly settle for crumbs and we don't need to. If if people really at the core understood who they are divine beings with divine gifts and purpose if they really connected with that truth everything would change starting with that minute it wouldn't solve all the problems in a minute but their attitude and their feeling would be one of optimism solution hope and creation instead of defeat settling for second best or ninth best and giving up yes yes it's so true so before we get into uh, the three topics of how people um, can have that divine purpose or get, you know, get to that step. Um, today's sponsor is ChristianDewan.com, my clothing line, positive energy through your clothes. Um, you use the promo code Underdog Talk Podcast. You get 15% off. We have some new spring stuff because we have a fashion show coming up um, April 23rd here in Indianapolis. So I've been working my tail off to present some new stuff. So I'll be looking out for the new stuff come middle, end of April. I'm not dropping into closer to the fashion show. But again, ChristianDewan.com and you use the promo code Underdog Talk Podcast, you get 15% off. So what are three tips that could help somebody going through maybe some abuse or went through some abuse. They're a little depressed right now. You know, ever since COVID, you know, life's been kind of messed up. What are three tips that someone could do right now that can help them change either how they feel? No, change who they are as a person to understand who they are as a person. Okay, number one, no matter where you've been and no matter what's going on right now, it's never too late. So it, I, and this is just hear this, no matter what is going on, no matter what you've been through or what's happened before, it's never too late to matter, to have big impact and to change. So it's never too late. Never, never think, ah, it's too late. I can't, whatever. So that's number one. Number two is you can't do everything at once. A lot of times we think, well, I have to just do all this stuff and then it gets overwhelming. And so we quit. You know what? When I tell people, look, there's a success cadence. The success cadence sounds like this. I said it. I did it. I said it. I did it. I said it. I did it. So if you tell yourself you're going to change even one thing, I'm going to change this, how I, I'm going to quit smoking. I'm going to quit vaping. I'm going to lose some weight. I'm going to quit letting myself. And if you find yourself not able to do it, what we usually do is yell at ourselves, get angry, I can't, whatever. Here's what I say. Shrink the goal. Shrink it until you can do it. Because success breeds success. So when you say, I'm going to do this, and you don't, don't get mad at yourself. Don't get all excited. Forgive yourself. Start over. Shrink the goal until you can, I said it. I did it because then you become a person that you trust what comes out of your mouth. And then you can set another little goal and another little goal. Even if you make a 1% change today, 1% for a hundred days is only three months. And then you're at a hundred percent. Like it doesn't have to happen all at once. Don't think that and don't get angry or frustrated or negative. 
I said it, I did it. So build yourself the success cadence. That's number two, which is I said it, I did it. And number three, you will be greatly benefited and blessed by working on loving yourself. We live in a place where we pretend we care about others. We are nice to others and everything. But when we're alone, we talk to ourselves poorly. We berate ourselves. We say negative self-talk. That's just so harmful. So here is the thing to do. Look in the mirror tomorrow morning and then do it every morning. Look in your own eyes. Don't look away and say, I love you. And don't change the words and say it set a timer for one minute and do it and do that every day. And if there are things that are bothering you about yourself, love yourself anyway, and then go work on the things. Don't hate yourself because you can't grow and change from a place of self-loathing. So that's, those are the three things I would say right now. Love yourself was number three. Create the success cadence of I said it, I did it, I said it, I did it was number two. Number one is it's never too late. No matter where you've been or what's happened, you can still have a life of purpose, prosperity, and joy, and make an impact. Man, I love it. I think I'm going to name this one never too late um, just because of your story and just because of, you know, how uh, you never, you know, it was never too late. And then you said, I said it, I did it. And loving yourself. But one thing um, that's super dope. So I was coming up with a shirt and I um, was like, I'm going to put a mirror. And on the mirror, it says, I love you. And that's funny that, and I did that today. I haven't finished uh, how I wanted to look, but just, just you saying that lets me know that I'm on the right way I just got to figure out how to make it look right because I want it to be where someone's walking up to that person that has that shirt and they're looking and it's like they're looking in the mirror and say I love you and that's exactly what you said look in the mirror but what you one one thing you said or two things that really uh resonated with me is you can't do everything at once and shrink the goal the goal like because Right now with me, I work a nine to five. I got the podcast. I got um, the clothing line. I'm an active father. You know, a lot of things are going on. It's like, okay, I want to get to, you know, point point C, but it's like, I got to do one thing very good. Then everything else will start being, I'll be able to be good in one other, I mean, in every other area. When you're good in one area, you'll be good in every area. So you got to dominate that one thing and then shrink the goal. Even though your goal is millions of dollars, shrink it. Make 50000 first. Make however much you haven't made before that's closer to you of obtaining than it is to you trying to reach that super dream goal that you want to reach. Because if you can't reach the small goals, you're not going to reach the big goals. So I love that where you said shrink the goal and be 1% better. If you're 1% better every day, you'll be 1% of the world because everybody's not working on themselves every day. So it, as you said, work on yourself, be 1% better each day, and then eventually you'll be in the 1% where you're better than 99%. So I love it. Um, before we uh, get all your links and how people can reach out to you and everything, I always ask my um, guests, give me an underdog quote. <laughs> 
It could be your own. It could be something that you go by, but something that can help somebody out right now. Uh, underdog quote. Underdog is the state of mind. You're only the underdog if you believe you are. Bam. Well, I like I, I like I told the last part. I got to get that little machine where you got you know it got the little sounds. Uh, like it would have been a drop the mic after that because that that that's simple. It's simple, but it, it's 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 just a state of mind. And for me myself, being I you know I'm underdog podcast underdog with a royal cart. That underdog really just is a title, but I I never I never feel like the underdog. Because just because someone else thinks I can't do it don't mean I can't I don't think I can do it. So it's really just a state of mind. If you believe you can do it, you can do it. Like you said earlier, I said it, I did it. You gotta speak it, you gotta say say it out loud, you gotta speak positivity into the world. Um, I appreciate this conversation. I think this helped me just as well as it helped uh the listeners, because I'm always taking notes. Um with what people say and just different stuff. So I appreciate you for coming on, adding value. How can the listeners reach out to you? Um, social media, links, however, website, whatever. Um, how can they reach out to you? So, you know, the fun thing about having a weird name like Kellen Flukiger is I can't hide. So the only reason you can't find me is, A, you're either not looking, or B, you're spelling my name wrong. So if you spell my name right, and I'm looking at this at the stuff that Eric has, and it's spelled correctly. So if you spell my name right, I can't hide. You can find me on Facebook, and on Instagram, and on LinkedIn, and on YouTube, and on Google, because of the executive and other stuff I've done. There's 10,000 hits on Google. Just put my name in. You can find me. And my, I have a podcast also with 600 and something episodes called Your Ultimate Life. I've written 16 books. I've done a whole bunch of music. You can find me anywhere you want. And all you have to do is spell my name right and, you're, and you win. <laughs> yep. Uh, so I have all the spelling uh, on the links and I just spell it as F-L-U-C-K- I E I G E R. So um, I have all that for everyone. Um, before we get out of here, do you have any closing remarks? Any anything left in you? Yes, you are infinitely valuable, Eric. You're a wonderful, capable, beautiful, soul-filled person who's been through your own story. And what you have to add for the world is good and valuable. And anyone that is blessed to hear this or any other of your episodes is encouraged and full of opportunity and optimism because you give your heart and soul to this project. Every single person, you and everyone that listens to this is a divine being with a gift or talent. And I ask you, I urge you, I want to participate in your divine gifts. Share them with the world, because if you don't, I'll miss out. And on that note, peace, one love.